0: I had a remarkable experience this past week that relates to this church in a powerful way. Just want to uh, tell you about it for a second and thank those who are involved in the men's ministry. Uh, Thursday night, they began their program called Conquer, and it was really a remarkable evening. Uh, For the topic at hand that the, the brothers are studying, It is the most significant work I have ever seen on the topic. And uh, here were about 55 guys who had come together intent on uh, seeking the Lord for lives of holiness and purity and righteousness, seeking to be all God wants them to be. And uh, I was reminded of that scripture that speaks of David, when it said, uh, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. Now, I say that because I want to prepare you for something. I think it is so powerful what's going on there and what God is doing in this church in other ways as well. We ought to prepare for revival Because I want to tell you what, when God's men especially take the leadership role that God has given in the church, in our families, in our homes, and we strive to be all that God wants us to be in holiness and righteousness for His name and influence for the kingdom, I want to tell you, watch out. Because God will be moving among us. Amen? Hey, also this past week, we had some brothers and sisters who suffered a great deal. The Hurricane Michael made landfall at 155 miles an hour, one of the strongest hurricanes that have ever hit the state of Florida, and we all have hurricane experience. Well, we have brothers and sisters who are hurting today, and I think we ought to just pause for a moment to pray for them. Uh, Our former pastor here and headmaster at Masters Academy, Grant and Jennifer Powell had very serious damage to their home. Grant and I grew up together. Our fathers were best friends, and I know that uh, you remember him well. I just think we should bow for a moment to pray for these people. Would you join me, please? Father, we know that we live in a broken world, and sin has truly had its effect, not only in the human heart, but through all nature. We are sorry this event has happened to our brothers and sisters. There's places in the panhandle that have small towns that literally no longer exist. We pray for them, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that would have liked to have been in church today under normal circumstances who cannot go. It's not there. We lift up Grant and Jennifer Powell to you today and for the needs of their church and their home And Father, thank you. You have a way of rebuilding our lives. You are amazing to us, and we will trust your faithfulness in this regard today. In Jesus' name, amen? Let's go to the Word, shall we? Acts chapter 2, and today we begin with verse number 37. But before I read that, I have to give just a moment of overview so that you really understand the impact of what is being said in verse 37. We are talking about Peter's sermon. You recall that. And, uh, you know, Peter, who was at one point uh, pretty shy and, and uh, res- reserving and uh, faced a little servant girl that he couldn't even agree with that he had even known Jesus. I mean, remarkable. Turned into one of the bra- most bravest the bravest and courageous men who ever uh, encountered in the Christian faith. And boy, what a sermon this was. I mean, this was amazing. He was telling him straightforward, this Jesus whom you crucified, even though it was by the definite foreknowledge and plan of God, you crucified and killed by lawless hands. But this Jesus whom you killed, God raised again. And God has made him both Lord and Christ, in verse 36. And then he follows with this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, I believe this is life's most important question. It deals with eternal salvation. It deals with life that is to come. You know, the scripture says, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? It is for the salvation of the soul that Christ has come to redeem us. And when when these brothers heard what Paul was saying, Peter was saying, they asked, I think, the most important question of life. I think it's a question you should ask every time any biblical sermon is preached. And the question is this you see it there in the verses, it's pretty obvious. What shall we do? What do we do? The implication is, what what should we do to be saved? There's others, I'll tell you in a moment, who asked a similar question. Well, there's some answers out there, even so-called religious answers, that you could hear in any number of churches today or other places or in the culture generally. There, for example, is... The legalist. The legalist says, I'll tell you how salvation works. You got to keep the rules. You got to do what the rules say. But Romans 4, 2 says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It is not a matter of keeping the rules. It has always been a matter of faith. Now, the moralist might say, here's how you're saved. If you do more good things than you do bad things, then this is the way to approach God. This is the way that you get to him. But Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God not a result of works that no one should boast. Some claimed, and it would be true of these Jews that Peter had been preaching to, some claim we are saved by racial heritage. That would have been the Jewish conception. I'm saved because I was born to Father Abraham. And... Uh, We know the scripture says it was John the Baptist. Do not suppose you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for a father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. It is not a matter of your racial heritage. It's not a matter of the fact that you've gone to church all your life. It's not a matter that you uh, engage with a family and say, Well, I was brought up Christian. These are not the ways of salvation. The universalist says, well, everybody's saved. I mean, think about it. There you proclaim a kind and loving heavenly father. What kind of God would send people to hell in punishment forever? Everybody is saved. I want to tell you what, you'd be surprised where that theology lack of theology and philosophy is present even in the Christian church today. I want to have them read one more time Matthew 7:13, where Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it. And then we've always got the ritualist says, I'll tell you how salvation happens. You go to church and you do the rituals that are expected of you in church. You say your prayers, you read the scripture, you partake of this event and that event, and the other rituals of so-called faith. But that doesn't save us as well. Romans 10.10 says, With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth, he confesses, revo- resulting in salvation. Salvation is a matter of faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And that's always been the message of the Scripture. Now, as we turn right to the teaching of the Scripture today, beginning with verse number 37, we see that Peter is really getting after it, right? And uh, He's getting quite a reaction to the end of a good sermon. I'm telling you what, all preachers hope for a reaction to the end of their sermon. And uh, many times we don't get it, or we don't get it in the way we think we should. But I'll tell you, God writes his word upon every heart. God's word never comes back void. And when God is speaking in the church, something is always happening. And Peter knew that. And when he had talked to these Jews and told them about having killed the only Son of God, even though it was by the foreordination of God's perfect plan, the Scripture here in verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. I don't want you to pass by that too quickly. Because the message had been applied right there, right then. Cut to the heart. It's a word that means to pierce, to stab, to feel a sudden anguish. And the reason was because they were feeling guilt. And they had every reason to feel such guilt. They had killed the Messiah. They had done it themselves. There would be no... Greater crime for a Jew than to be told he had been responsible for the death of the Messiah. Let me ask you a question so that we all understand the need for Christian faith and what the Bible teaches overall. Who else put Jesus upon the cross? Besides the Romans, besides the Jews, who else put Jesus on the cross? Me and you. And we are guilty as well. We have guilt that needs to be dealt with, church, about a lot of things. And Peter knew there'd be a lot of times over the course of the preaching of the Word of God that people would be cut to the heart. And when that happens to you, be assured that he can re- relieve the guilt that you feel and experience. In fact, I wonder in our congregation this morning in this nice crowd and Last night in the next service that shall follow, I wonder how many people among us suffer for guilt that needs to be relieved today. We can be guilty about so many things. The way we've trivialized God in our lives, the way we've pushed him aside from time to time, the way we've ignored the promptings he wants in our life. The ways we can be so easily fooled into listening to false teaching and going the wrong ways, there is a reason for guilt. And the question is a question of the ages. What shall I do? Well, this question was asked in a couple other ways in the Scripture that were really quite profound, as you might recall. Do you remember the day of uh, the Damascus Road experience with with who was then Saul. And this amazing light comes and shines at noonday, and it overwhelms everything. And Saul hears a voice. The others with him don't don't understand, don't get it. Maybe they didn't even hear the voice the way he was hearing it, but this is the word that he heard. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's response, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What was Saul's then response? What shall I do? What would you have me do? See, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon each of us at those moments, we end up asking the same question. What shall I do? Or how about the time that Paul and Silas were in prison? in Philippi. And the Bible says one night they were singing hymns and offering prayers, and the rest of the prisoners were all listening to this concert. And all of a sudden there was a violent shaking and an earthquake, and the doors of the prison flew open, and the chains that were on the wrists and the ankles of all the prisoners were let go and they were released. The Philippian jailer had been sleeping. And he got up and realized what had happened, and he was so scared about it all, knowing what would happen to him as the jailer, that he pulled out his sword and was ready to take his own life until Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. What was his question that night? What shall I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you shall be saved. And those brothers went to the house that night, and that whole family was saved because of the question of the ages. Life's most important question. If God is speaking to you today in any way, this is how you respond. What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? Well, then Peter taught them what to do. And here's how he put it. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He told them they should repent. And I want you to see there's there's not rebuke here. There's not anger being expressed. It's truthfulness, the the most important words a human being can ever hear. That you have a need for the Savior and we must repent. We must be transformed from the evil that we have perpetrated. We must leave behind the abhorrence we have for sin and experience the complete turnaround of our lives and devote ourselves to the teaching of Jesus. This is what it means to repent. It means that our minds have been completely transformed and we have been changed. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It, it is minds being made new that God is seeking Today. And when that happens, the sinner finds it possible to break with unbelief and live in faith by understanding the Word of God. And genuine conviction that leads to repentance and life change is produced by the Holy Spirit working among us here today and by the teaching of His Word. That's why right, Hebrews 4.12 says... The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. God knows us today. I have watched over the course of my life so many particularly scholars. God bless the scholars. We need them. We love them. But I'll tell you, at times, they just go off in directions that are, well, worthless. I don't know how else to say it. Because I will tell you, whenever a scholar, a preacher, a teacher of, of any stripe whatsoever thinks that we are to study the Word of God And teach others so that we can stand in judgment of this word to try to find out what it means for our lives has it absolutely backwards and wrong. We don't stand in judgment of the word of God. It stands in judgment of us. And it understands us. And when the Holy Spirit, through the teaching of the word, word brings us to a point of desperation, then the only thing to do is to repent. This is what he was teaching. True repentance today will change your life like nothing else. It will cause you to love the things that God loves and to hate the things God hates. To be in fellowship with him and to know the exceeding sinfulness of sin, to leave some of the habits and patterns of sin behind. You know what that... This is always the work of the pastor with his congregation, isn't it? We are being called to righteousness and holiness. We are to be leaving the things of the world behind. And repentance is the price tag for full spiritual freedom, victory, and grace. So regeneration coming regeneration coming from the dead to life. By what the Holy Spirit does and following with a choice to believe in all that Jesus said to repent and be transformed, this is the message of Peter. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what he said. You know, uh, we know that there's been several people over the last few weeks who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're new to the faith, I certainly want to encourage you because this is the teaching of the scripture today. You must follow the Lord in baptism. This is the teaching of the scripture. A Christian follows the Lord in baptism to be a follower of Christ, and that baptism is a sign of an inward work that God has done, and we declare to the world what he means to us, and we follow him. You know, that's not real hard for us to do in this age, is it? Not long ago, we did it. I saw it on the board up here. It it looked like a wonderful event, getting baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, it did not get any better than that. That, I just want all my friends up north to see that long, particularly long about January and February. It's not real hard for us to do that. I'll tell you what, baptism for some people costs them everything. To identify with Christ at this level will cost a lot of people everything. It would have these Jews. Because when these Jews were called to be baptized, it would have been a public demonstration that they were breaking all ties with Judaism and following Christ. And for a Jew, it can cost you a lot. We had a girl in Warner University... Uh, several years ago, came to our school as a freshman, a Jewish girl from New York City, as I recall. And during the course of attending Warner, she had attended chapel and heard the message of Christianity, of faith in Christ, clearly taught, and she responded and became a believer and was baptized and went home to tell her family of her newfound faith. And was disowned. It'll cost some people a lot. But one thing it can't cost it can't cost that we become secret disciples of the Lord. There is no such thing as secret disciples. And that's why baptism. And in any way we possibly can to identify with Christ is so important. There are no secret disciples. Well, you might say, some of you are so good with the scripture. You're probably ahead of me and probably thinking, well, doesn't it say in the gospel of John that there was a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who uh, the scripture says of him, and he was a disciple of the Lord, but in secret for fear of the Jews, it's true. But it was also Joseph of Arimathea who went to Pilate, if you can fathom this, and said, please give me the body of Jesus. I will take care of it. And he put Jesus in his own tomb. I want to tell you that's identification at a level we may never know about. You know, the scripture tells us, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There are no secret disciples, ladies and gentlemen. And there there may be somebody in your life right now that God is calling you to speak a word to and quit acting as though you don't know and understand and open up. Here's how Jesus put it. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father. In heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Is there any equivocation in those words? Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ as the one and only way. For the forgiveness of sins, he said. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Now, let me ask you something today, even as a fellow believer. I mean, I know what it is to live life. Pre- you know very well preachers aren't perfect and struggle just like everybody else, and you struggle too. So I want to ask you today, how good would it feel to have forgiveness over something that's going on in your life today? How good would it feel? And to have that free gift he talks about, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that comes and baptizes us, regenerates us, and asks us to respond in faith. And we do. Well, then as uh, I close here, uh, it's kind of remarkable what happens after this. He ends his sermon, and he's like maybe walking away, and the others are coming to him, you know, like the paparazzi do, and the, I don't suppose they were taking pictures. And uh, but they're asking questions like at a press conference. Well, well, wait, wait a minute. I have more. I have another question. And he began, and he continued to exhort, continued to expound, continued to teach. This is the one thing he said: save yourselves from this crooked generation. I cannot think of a more important word for the church today, for the members of God's church. God is calling every one of us to be saved from this perverse and crooked generation. Deuteronomy 32, 5 said, They have acted corruptly toward God to their shame. They are no longer his children but are a warped and crooked generation. Can't love the things of the world and love the Lord. It does not compute. It does not. To love the world for the believer today is to be at enmity with God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the result of the sermon, 3,000 people came to Christ that moment. They had asked the question. As a result of the question, they were being saved. As a result of the question, they were being forgiven. As a result of the question, the guilt was being removed. Does that feel good today, church? And here's the question, what shall we do? And my advice to you today would be this. Answer any call. He is making on your life right now father in heaven we seek you in your holiness and righteousness as Savior and Lord we repent we seek you in your grace and we will be saved from this crooked generation strengthen the faith of the church today and deal with your children any way you wish We will not be hostile to your reign or renegades in your dominion. We will not fight against your empowerment. We succumb to it today gladly in
1: the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand, church. also have prayer partners, they have the gift of prayer, they would love to pray with you, pray over you, whatever you need, I'm over here, if, if that's what you need, we're going to linger up front as well, Dr. Hall is going to be up front, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, and you want to know more about him, and you're maybe right there, you're about this close to believing upon him as your Lord and Savior, we just want to tell you what the word of God says about that, and you make that decision, um, we're here for that as well, let's pray. Lord continue to move continue to do a work in this place continue to do a work in our hearts whatever you're saying to us right now Lord whatever you're doing don't let us knee jerk into that sometimes that way we just kind of dismiss it or we just go ahead and leave or we just don't say anything to anybody I think we all can say to you Lord that we've done that so many times so many times we've passed up those opportunities where you're speaking so clearly to us and we let the moment go never take care of business, and we never obey you into what maybe you're doing. So God, may in this moment we make the decision to follow the Holy Spirit. Spirit, whatever you're saying, we want to respond to you. We Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in this place today. May we forever be changed because of what you've done for us, Jesus. We give you praise and thanks. It's in your